Would you pray with me as we begin? Lord God, we open our hearts and our minds to receive you. We prepare our hearts to hear you and to be changed by you. We are open to your transforming power, and we pray that you will help us to hear what you have to say and obey. Reveal yourself to us in your word and in each of us. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Did you know that we are engaged in a battle? It may not be the battle you think of. It is a battle of stuff. It's a battle of my stuff against your stuff. How much stuff is enough stuff? On and on it goes. It's enough to make your head stuffy. The battle we're engaged in isn't just about who dies with the most toys. It isn't even about earthly accumulation versus eternal treasure. It's a battle for your heart. It's about who owns it. About what or who owns your soul. And by the way, what happens to all that junk we collect in life after we get it anyway? Where does it end up and where does it go? I, I can remember a Christmas morning when I was quite young. The Man from Uncle TV series was on. There was a particular toy that I wanted from that series. You know, in those days, they didn't have the truth in advertising laws. And so, you know, it, it made it look so good. And so I really, really, really wanted it. And I kept bugging all year to get it. And on Christmas Day, I opened that box. And there it was, what I'd been waiting for all year. And it didn't work the way that it did in the television commercials. And after a little while, it, it was just, you know, I, I lost interest in it. I really, really had wanted it. But it just grew old very, very quickly. That shiny part wore off. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever really wanted something really, really badly? And then, then when you finally got it or you finally got there, it just, well, the novelty wore off really quickly. That can happen with bigger toys too, right? It can happen with TVs and fancy phones. It can happen with cars. It can happen with houses. It can happen at all levels. After a while, they just aren't quite as shiny as they seemed when they weren't yours before you got them. And what happens to all that stuff that we get? Well, it breaks. It rusts. It becomes obsolete. It gets thrown out. It rots, it pollutes, it makes tiny little plastic beads that get into the ocean waters. And where does it fit into the plan that God has for your life? And where does it fit into God's eternal plan for your place in a reborn heaven and earth that will be God's coming kingdom? Where does it fit? Or does it fit at all? You know, I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong to own things. But it is wrong to be owned by our things. Isn't that true? In the church today, we have a, what we sometimes call a consumer mentality. It's kind of a shopper's mentality that we bring into the church. Um, we don't attend church to worship. We attend church to consume it, to, uh, to take it in for our own sake, to be entertained, to be, you know, so that I go out feeling good and that... You know, I'm about two steps higher on Maslow's needs hierarchy, and I feel, you know, that little bit better psychologically. 
But we're not always here to worship. We're not always here to hear from God. We often approach church as if it's that, that shiny new thing that we really wanted. But after a while, that seems to wear out, right? The music isn't old time enough or new enough or flashy enough or something enough. The sermons sound like stuff I already know and it isn't hip enough and there's always bigger and better and someone's got always a bigger budget and the latest thing. But pretty soon that gets old too. We start looking again. And that's because what we're really looking for isn't something out there. It's something right in here. It's in your heart. That's what you're really looking for. We are doing a series. It's called That Sermon. It's based on the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're in Matthew chapter 6 starting at verse 19. Would you turn with me there in your Bible? Matthew 6, 19. You probably uh, will find as you get there that there's a little subtitle that says something like treasures in heaven, and that's really what we're talking about this morning, or at least that's the central theme. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be hopeful of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is within you is dark, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, there, there's three parts here to this, three pieces, and, and it's interesting about how all these come together, these, that Jesus would preach these the way he did, because they don't sound, at first look, they don't sound like they belong together, but they do. It's all about the same thing. The treasures in heaven, uh, the eye being the lamp of the body, and about serving two masters. They're all about the same thing. We'll see that as we jump in. Let's start with treasures in heaven, that first part. Do not store up for yourself treasures in, on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let me ask you, where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? Sounds kind of like that commercial. What's in your wallet? <laughs> well, sometimes we uh, complain that we don't have as much as the next person. We may not say it out loud, but often that's going on in here. Uh, we have what our parents might have called keeping up with the Joneses syndrome. You remember that expression, keeping up with the Joneses? It meant that your neighbor gets a new car, then you want to get a new car. If your neighbor gets a new lawnmower, you want to get a new lawnmower, only maybe one a little nicer than the one that he's got. You know, there was this little, you know, monetary competition going on. The latest, the greatest, and the shiniest. You know, when we're lonely, 
or when we're hurting, and especially when we feel really empty inside, we try to fill our emptiness with stuff. We work our whole lives to accumulate stuff that we don't really need and that we can't take to heaven, and it really doesn't satisfy our heart, but we work our whole lives to get it. Think about the Egyptians. That's always been interesting to me. You know, I, I, I love Egyptology, and it's amazing what stuff gets buried with an Egyptian king. You know, I mean, there'll be all kinds of gold, the gold for a whole kingdom in there. And, and all of this stuff is buried with the hope of having it all in an afterlife. You know, they put it in there, <clears throat> they put it in there so that when they cross to the next life that they have all of this stuff. But it didn't work for them, did it? We see all that stuff in museums. It didn't cross over to any afterlife. And it doesn't work for us either. We can't take it with us. It doesn't work. And every now and again, I, I read about treasure hoards, and uh, these are, are discovered in fields. Let me show you one here. This is a, a pot with a whole lot of money buried inside of it. And, you know, here's somebody, some of these go all the way back to Jesus' day, and somebody has taken their money and they put it in a, a clay pot and they buried it in the ground because they want it for safekeeping. And um, something happened somewhere along the line. Either they forgot where it was or something happened to them and they didn't dig it up. And so 2,000 years later, we're digging up these pots with somebody's family fortune in it. Well, it, it didn't do their family any good. And it didn't do them any good. And now most of these things are in museums. Jesus said that all of the things that we want so badly that we work so hard for, that we hoard, they eventually get moth-eaten, chewed up by animals, or they rust away. Jesus says, don't, don't put your emphasis on that earthly stuff. It's not wrong to have things in your life, possessions, but don't put all your emphasis on that. Invest more in heaven. So how do we get treasures in heaven? How do we do that? That's not a picture of heaven. That's the backyard of the church, but, you know, it looks nice. Little piece of heaven down in the right-hand corner, uh, Michelle, there's your little piece of heaven down there, Ryan. <laughs> Damp's house is down there. <laughs> We're all looking for that little piece of heaven, but how do we get treasures in heaven, according to the Scripture? By serving, by loving by caring for and lifting up those that Jesus cares about, by sharing our faith and maturing as believers so that we can be of use to God. We gain treasures by being and doing what Jesus calls us to be and do, by loving whoever Jesus says to love, and by living for Jesus instead of living for this world. We need to love people who are crying out, in spite of the fact that sometimes we disagree with them. Sometimes we very much disagree with people, but we still need to love them. We still need to care for them. 
It's so popular today to label people. You know, uh, if you notice, if, you, you're, you know, if you're on the internet at all, or you read a newspaper, or you, you're online, or you're watching the news, we label everybody, you know, especially we label the people we don't like. It makes it easier to hate them. It's so easy to label someone by dehumanizing them, or that's what we're doing when we label them, we dehumanize them so that we don't have to see their face, but we forget that behind all those labels, there are real people. There are people for whom Jesus died. Now, are some of them caught up in some negative and destructive things? You bet. Some of them have the potential to do harm, no doubt. Should we be Bereans and sift through everything to find the truth? Absolutely. But crossing those lines, especially crossing into those uncomfortable areas, crossing to a place to love and to serve and to care for somebody, especially when you disagree with them, especially when there's tension, especially when, hey, we haven't always gotten along, that's when you begin to really grow. That's when God really begins to use you. And that's when you begin to see transformation. And that's the kind of thing that the early church did that the people around them just couldn't understand. They, they just blew them away. Why would they do that? They're not even my friend. They're not even my political party. Why would they do that? Well, they did it because of the love of Jesus. Because Jesus commanded them to do it. And because Jesus, Jesus empowered them to do it. We need to see some folks who are never seen. We need to do justice where justice isn't being done. We need to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit the prisoners or help the neighbor. Or... You can fill in the blank. Lots of things we can do. And it's all treasure in heaven. What's Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about politics? He's not, is he? Is he talking about how to get more money? Has he got a big sign out in front of his church saying, God wants you to be rich? Is that what Jesus is saying in this sermon? The bottom line is that Jesus is talking about your heart. Where is your heart? Who has your heart? What has control of your heart? What you value most is a reflection of your heart. That's where your treasures will be. So he continues on. In verse 22, Jesus shifts gears and he starts talking about the eyes and the body, and it seems like, oh, what is this? This is like an interlude, isn't it? It's a, it's a break between two passages, but it's not. It's essentially about the same thing. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, there there are many different ways that this has been expressed over the years. Uh, another way I like this is the way the New Living Bible expresses it. Here's what it says, and it's in a little plainer English. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light to your body. 
When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is, a spa- is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. That's a little different way of saying it, isn't it? My dad had a pretty rare corneal disease. It was called lattice corneal dystrophy. And uh, I forget how many people get it. It's, uh, I think, in the hundreds of, one in hundred thousand or one in 200,000 or something like that. Very rare disease, and it's uh, very genetic. The problem with this disease is proteins deposit on the inside of the cornea, and, and they look like little scroll patterns if you were to see them under a microscope. And uh, it could start as young as seven or even young as two. But it showed up in my dad in his late 40s or early 50s. Um, By the time they figured out that he even had it, he'd already lost part of his vision. And as he got older, it got worse, and he lost more of his vision, especially the central vision, which um, eventually he was declared legally blind. To try to save his eyesight, they did a cornea transplant. But the disease even took that new cornea and obscured it. So that it was like the light fading out over time, the light getting softer. He could still see some peripheral vision. He could see our faces if he looked like this, but, um, but not very directly. You know, our vision is very important because through the eye, we see our way. We see where we're going. Jesus says that the eye lets in the light. He's appealing to a really interesting Jewish understanding of how light gets into the body and and the light and darkness in the body. He's describing it here uh, in this way, but, but the Jews understood that he was talking about moral light and moral darkness, good and evil, right? He's using the eye as a kind of a metaphor for the heart, really. And it's unusual, but his listeners would have understood it. It was something they were familiar with. And it's not really that unusual if you think about it. We often talk about focus. Focus. We ask the question often spiritually, where is your focus? In spiritual terms, we're asking, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Where is your heart focused? You know, in in my dad's situation, if they had caught the disease early, and here's the grand irony of it, if they had caught the disease early enough in his life, they could have treated it with eye drops and the occasional use of an eye patch. And that would be it. But by the time they discovered this, which was a little later in his life, His corneas were so badly scarred that they couldn't be repaired. You know, sometimes when we lose our focus on Jesus, we begin to drift into a moral darkness where the lines begin to get blurred. The light that that really shone in us when we first came to Jesus. You remember that light? You remember what that looked like and felt like? You know, sometimes I think, you know, with a brand new believer who gets so zealous, you want to tie a string on their legs so they don't flow away because they're so, so excited all the time. And it's a wonderful thing. You know, and there's that light. It just shines 
out of someone who has really found Jesus, who really understands what that new relationship is all about. The less focused we are on Jesus, the more darkness there is in us. We think of evil as something that is radically wrong. But evil comes in many, many shades, and it creeps in. And our drifting from the Lord can easily take us into territory where we never thought we would ever end up. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, in fact, I've said it myself, I can't believe how I ended up here. The interesting thing in Christian life is that we often don't see that darkness forming. It's like my dad losing his eyesight a little bit at a time and not really noticing until the problem was pretty major. Often spiritually, we find ourselves in a dark place spiritually. And then we realize we've taken our eyes off Jesus. We're not looking at him anymore. We're looking at the world, we're looking at all its enticements, all the things that are going on around. We have to be single focused on the Lord. And you know, you can't focus on Jesus and give your full attention to the world that's calling. You know, when the world calls you, it's kind of like the sirens in the Odyssey. You know, these, these maidens on shore with these enticing voices and luring the, the people on the ship until when they really realize where they are, they're on the rocks and being destroyed. That's what the world does to us. Beautiful voices calling us to a place where we should not be. Have you ever tried to do two things at once? Uh, I am, have a really bad habit of putting my TV on and then sitting down at the computer. So I'm trying to work on the computer and I'm having conversations with my friends on Facebook or I'm in some chat thing and, and, and I'm trying to watch a TV show at the same time and, and a lot of times... I find out I've lost the thread of what's going on over here. I don't even know what's going on. So I have to stop the program and rewind the program so that I can see what I missed because I was distracted. I was focused over here instead of over here, right? When you find yourself in this growing darkness, in this time of losing your focus on Jesus. It's time to rewind. It's time to go back. It's time to go back to Jesus, to put your eyes back where they belong, get your focus where it belongs. You cannot go a moral direction that God doesn't intend for you to go without losing sight of the Son of God. Do you hear me on that? Split focus doesn't work. Trying to put our focus in two places doesn't work when one of them's the Lord and one of them's the world. You know, being a Christian isn't just saying, I'm a Christian. It's all about who has your heart. Is your heart focused on Jesus? Does Jesus have your heart? Well, the last section, which is just one verse... It's about who to follow. Who do you follow? Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. 
Now, if you're a King James person, you know that it says you cannot serve God and mammon. And the word mammon was a, an interesting word. It was an old Aramaic word. It means wealth or riches. So money, basically. But sometimes that word mammon is used to represent not just money, but the God of money, Satan himself. You'll notice as you read through the Gospels that Jesus talks about money more than almost any other issue, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and, and it's usually not in a positive light. It's usually in a negative light. Um, he, he's not saying that it's all bad. He's saying that often we end up in bad places because of it, right? There are many faithful Christians we know who are wealthy and, and do a wonderful job of being stewards of God's money and who, who give and who do ministry and who do wonderful things. But we know from experience and from the news and all the things around us that there are many people who just don't seem to be equipped to handle it when they receive money. I see some of these musicians at very young ages acquire huge amounts of money, total fortunes, enough to last two or three lifetimes. And it often doesn't end well because there's this inability to handle that. That's the world's luring. It takes us to places sometimes where we shouldn't ought to go. Ecclesiastes 5.10, Solomon says, whoever loves money never has enough. And he says, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. That, too, is meaningless. Life can't be about money. That way is meaningless. You'll never have enough. All you have to do is check out the news and see how that ends. If God gives you land or financial wealth or success in that way, he's going to ask of you and expect more from you than you think. It's about stewardship. But no matter what the level of income you're at, you, you can't get Far from God, if you recognize that God gave you those resources so that you can use them for his glory. Maybe in a ministry. Even hospitality can be a ministry. Giving to somebody who's in need is a ministry. And we could just go on and on and list ministry actions in which we could use the resources that God gives us. You know, one time my car quit, and I was really struggling to buy another one, and uh, somebody in the church gave me a car. Actually, he sold it to me for a dollar. <laughs> it wasn't a fancy car. It was kind of like driving a box, but it was in fair condition, and it ran. It had been used as a prototype for a carburetor fix for the Chrysler Motor Company at the Chrysler Proving Ground, and it was the only one of its kind. It's kind of ugly. <laughs> for no reason that I could see, they had nicknamed it WD, Wheels of Death. <laughs> but WD ran until I could afford another car and did me well. That man's generosity helped me out an awful lot. It was a time when I was struggling, and, and he felt that God had given him an extra car so that he could give it away. 
He wasn't hanging on to it as if it was like, you know, this is my possession, I'm not letting go of it. In his eyes, the car belonged to God. So he was really just giving God what already belonged to God. There was that sense of giving. That's how the Jews understood giving, was that all giving, no matter how or who, was giving to God. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, or God and the God of this world. The obvious choice for us is God, right? Everything and everyone else is a loser as far as who we follow. We follow God first. God first always. We know, because we've read the end of the book, what happens to the God of money. We know what happens to the God of this world. He doesn't win. So just like in these other two parts, this one is about what? It's about your heart, isn't it? It's about where your heart is. Or more importantly, the question is, who has your heart? Where's your heart? Does it belong to Jesus? Where are you laying up your treasures? In heaven by serving him? Are your eyes focused on Jesus so that your inner light, your moral self is growing? How have you chosen to follow God first and only? Or have you? I think maybe it might be time for some of you to give Jesus your heart. Or maybe it's time to give back your heart to Jesus if you've taken it away. Or maybe today you just want to strengthen that bond with Jesus. This is a good time to do that. Anytime is a good time to do that. So as we close today, I want to encourage you to maybe do a little bit of business with Jesus this morning. Maybe do a checkup. Invest in heaven. Start by asking Jesus to forgive your sin. And let him be your Lord and Savior and lead you in life. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we realize that you are teaching here all about our heart. It's about where our heart is. And it's about you having our hearts, our focus, our loyalty, our service. Jesus, I realize that, that I'm a sinner, that on my own, I would choose to do the wrong thing and follow the wrong path. Forgive my sin. Receive me into your kingdom. Help me to never take my eyes off of you. Lord, take me to the place where you want me, where you'll use me in ministry. I ask you to lead me in life. I want to be a faithful follower and serve only you. I give you my whole life, and I thank you for saving me and for teaching me and for leading me. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen.
If you have further questions about the gospel or following the gospel in a, in a new way in your life, we are always very happy to speak with you. Just let us know.